This episode of By the Glass is brought to you by Dunkin' Donuts, one of my secret pleasures that I've picked up in America. My favourite, definitely the chocolate cream uh, filled donut covered with powdered sugar. You always know when you've been eating them, you can't get rid of the powdered sugar. And uh, the Adelaide Review. Welcome to this episode of By the Glass. This is a podcast about the people in the booze and hospitality industry. My name's Ali Robertson and my esteemed co-host here is Chris Kamora. Hello, Ali. Our guest today is Jane Ferrari from Yolumba. Meeting Jane Ferrari is unforgettable. Her job title at Yolumba is multifaceted. She's a storyteller, a communicator, a brand ambassador, a legend. Spend an hour with Jane and you'll find out more about the heritage and culture of Yolumba and the Barossa than most locals learn in a lifetime. Jane, welcome to Buy the Glass. Oh, that must have been written by a marketer. <laughs> There's a funny thing about Very that. Very late at night. Because that was written by my co-host, Alistair Robertson. Oh, really? <laughs> Did you know that I actually wrote that? No, I didn't. I like, you know, legend's a big word, though. Yeah, well, uh, legends that's, a big that's word. straight off yourlumber.com. Well, there you go. Um, that's the second paragraph on your bio. Legend is a big word. <laughs> nice, but... There's actually more of it too, but uh, I mean, we can go through more of it. But does, do, you, do you think only <laughs> that's enough? Do you think only <laughs> legends the uh, the thing that really sticks out there? Um, strangely enough, I think the word that jumps out of that is storyteller because that's become very cool. You know, when I made jokes about that four or five years ago about putting that on a business card, people thought I was a bit loony. Um, and now it's very cool because you know Levi's and Jeep and Coca Cola mm. and Pepsi and you know, just about everybody is, you know, even Southwest Airlines who I fly with in America, you know, there's a story in every seat, you know. So now somewhere along the line, story coming, storytelling has become very, very trendy. Well, it's a bit like podcasts too. They've become trendy because it's a form of storytelling, isn't it? Well, that's exactly right. I honestly didn't know what a podcast was until about, you know, <laughs> two years ago and... and uh, you, you got to fix that. I've got to switch this off. Oh, <laughs> I right. just thought about that. No, you're right. All these electronic gadgets that we get now. Isn't that silly? It's basically like wearing an electronic foot bracelet, but they haven't told you that it's that. They just <laughs> want to know where you are. No, um, it's become really trendy, but I, I think it's really important. I, I like it. You know, yeah. I grew up with storytelling. Um, for me, uh, even when I was a little kid in Alice Springs, you know, the best part of the day was the end of the day when I was promised that I was going to get a page read to me as I went to bed and, and the book at the time was Snuggle Pot and Cuddle Pie and that was a very big deal because you had a hundred percent focus from one of your parents and uh, it was a big deal and, and you know in this whole zip zap world that we have now it's really interesting that uh, as I travel for work which is about nine months of the year people will really stop still for a good story and I'm really lucky because in my job I get to collect those pretty much for a living. Who did the majority of the storytelling for you? Well, my mum was there all the time. My dad wasn't because he was working. I mean, they were establishing a building uh, company in Alice Springs. So I only ever saw my dad at bedtime when he mm. would read you that page. And um, and mum was there all the time, you know, drop you to school, pick you up, you know, all that sort of thing. So I got a lot of pages from mum, but the special ones were from dad because, you know, you, 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 you knew he was at work, but you sort of never saw him. So it was kind of a bit of a split, really. Mm. Uh, Jane, do you want a glass of wine? Um, no, mate, I know what goes into it. <laughs> no, uh, no, I'm okay. I'll, I've got to drive back up to the valley. So. How about just a taste? What have you got? Oh, it's a, that's a mystery. Oh, okay. No <laughs> worries at all. 
Oh. So, so whereabouts do you live now? I'm in uh, Angerston, uh, oh, up in the Barossa Valley. Yeah, um, yeah. I've been there for nearly 20 years and in my time uh, living and working in the Barossa, I've pretty much boarded. I mean, I was quite lucky. I started boarding with families when I first went up there. I didn't know anybody in the industry at all. And uh, I was quite lucky. So I've boarded in nearly every town in the valley, town and village, actually. So, so is that, would you say that the Barossa is your home now? Uh, definitely. Um, it's my home base that I get to work from, um, which I think is really, really important to have one. Um, when you travel nine months of the year, you tend to be a bit, um, you tend to be a bit of a non-resident anywhere. So you travel nine months a year? Pretty much domestically and overseas, yeah. yeah. And what, we, we spoke about home being where you are now, but mm -hmm. what defines home for you? Oh, it's the place I've got my collection of memorabilia from my travels, I think. So it's uh, a material thing for you? Um, yeah, I, funny, funnily enough, it's, it's, that home base is very solid because uh, Angerston is 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 a is a pretty. It's like the eye of the storm. Uh, they they don't have a police station. I try and explain to people overseas that it's a hundred square miles odd uh, in the valley with no with only two sets of traffic lights and neither of them are in, are in our town. You know. <laughs> um, so for me, home is that very quiet eye of the storm home base in Angerston. Um, but when I go back to Alice Springs, you know, where I grew up, I, I feel quite like that's partly my country as well. Yeah, yeah. You've, got, so you've, got, you've got a few places yeah, that are home. Home for me is those, those quiet spots where you've got great memories, you know, I think. And what, what's your favourite thing about coming home after being on the road? or Not having a schedule. Yeah? Not having to be at a certain place at a certain time for pretty much 20 hours of the day, yeah. Can you give us an idea of what your last month or two, let's just say... Um, well, I've just come. Work. Yeah, I've just come off a section uh, for um, f three or four weeks in in the United States of America, and over the last seventeen years of travel, I've done uh, forty six states. So uh, I worked in. I st w our we had a plan that was disrupted because my first two uh, places that I was supposed to work in were Tampa, Florida, and um, Houston, Texas. And both of them had um, a hurricane within two weeks of each other. So we abandoned Tampa and we um, started in Fort Worth, Texas, which was fantastic because I got to resurrect a whole dose of accounts and, and, and folks that we'd been working with that no one had seen for sort of five or six years. So I based myself in Fort Worth and Houston came in at the end of the day because Harvey, they recovered from Harvey pretty quickly. Actually, Houston's a very hands-on, get-stuck-into-it kind of city. Mm. And about six or seven years ago, we came in just after Hurricane Ike and we tidied up with them and, and we did a, a charity event there. So um, that came in at the end of the first week. So I worked Fort Worth and, and Dallas and uh, all the proceeds went to a, um, a group that uh, there was a whole dose of housing in Houston that um, was basically the, the flooding was so bad or the damage was so bad that people couldn't go back in. So there were a lot of families that were displaced immediately mm, with mm. no uh, no accommodation whatsoever. So there was a a, um, a group that was finding emergency housing for them. So we worked with those folks, and and uh, and that was Houston. And then um, uh, then we worked in uh, Des Moines, Iowa, which is really interesting because most folks don't work the flyover states, but I, I quite like them. Um, they call them B markets. Um, you know, A markets is New York, London, Chicago, San Francisco. Everybody wants to be in those markets. But the B markets 
I find are incredibly responsive. You know, they not as many people go there. The folks are much the same, mm-hmm. and and we've done really well. It yeah. kind of sounds like Mick Jagger's tour schedule. Excepting you don't go. Excepting it's not always. It's never first class. No sex, no drugs, and not much rock and roll. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you tend to fly a lot on Saturdays across, like you know, a flight from Seattle to Boston, six hours in the air. Did you go to the Eastern Saturday. Standard Kitchen? No. You know that place? I've I've heard of it, but no. I was literally based around the corner from Fenway Park, the home of uh, uh, yeah. ba- uh, the Red Sox, based yeah, uh, the, yeah, yeah. the Boston Red Sox. And we worked from there as a base and worked out to Rhode Island for the first time. Cool. And um, uh, went out to a, a extraordinary spot, um, the Coast Guard House on the coastline of uh, of Rhode Island. And um, and that was our first foray into Rhode Island. Went really, really well. So basically we do events and they can be anything from uh, consumer, uh, distributor, because you have to go through a distributor as soon as you uh, leave Australia and New Zealand. And you have to have, we've mostly got dis- different distributors for each state that we work in. So you have to work with them and get them on side because otherwise you don't get any access to the market. Mm-hmm. And if you can get trade in and consumers. So basically the, the the events are a combination of those and you can have one, two, three or four events a day. Yep. And are, these, um, are these like uh, wine tastings or lunches, dinners? Yes, to all the above. Yeah. And I try and cross pollinate as much as possible. There's been a convention in our industry that you just do consumer events you keep consumers, trade, press, distributors all separate, but I try and cross-pollinate them because it means that you get as much, you get as, you get to speak to as many people as possible. Lots of people, lots of chat. Mm. But you can be doing like, you can be doing a tasting out the back of a organic supermarket with young staff and plastic thimble cups mm. um, as a staff training, and you can be uh, in in a heartbeat. You can be uh, at the Met in New York Mm -hmm. before the opera because they have a restaurant called The Mezzanine and you can be there at five o'clock doing the pre-dinner staff training uh, with their staff, which is all silver service and before Pavarotti's singing at the Met. So it can be kind of anything, anywhere, (laughs) anytime. So quite a a, a big range of things Yeah, you've got to be pretty flexible. And, you know, uh, Las Vegas, you know, I remember doing a, a tasting at... Oh, I think it was between midnight and one o'clock in the morning because that's when the staff at these restaurants came off off shift. So, <laughs> so cool. Yeah, it's pretty flexible. <laughs> yeah, wow. We put that wine in front of you. Would you like to take a taste and tell us what? Well, it's white. It is. And um, it's actually, it smells a little bit uh, bubblegummy. Um, oh, gosh. it's It, it tastes, to me, it's, it tastes like an old Semillon Sauvignon Blanc I've seen once before. I've got no idea what it is. Well, it doesn't really matter what it is. It's just a, a it's nice sweet. glass of wine. It, it's sweet. It's, it's got a little bit of residual sugar too. Yeah, it's got a bit of fruit. Yeah. Uh, this is Chardonnay from the Adelaide Hills by oh, Delaine there you Vigno. go. 2016. There you go. Block 1A. <laughs> Jane, people often think that the best jobs in the world probably involve lots of travel where mm. you get to see different cultures and you de- yeah. get to experience different places. Having done that, is it the best job in the world? It can be. The worst is definitely, and that's changed dramatically in the last five or six years. Or no, actually, it's changed dramatically since 9-11, actually. Um, getting from A to B okay. is an absolute chore outside of Australia and New Zealand. So getting from A to B is a chore. And, you know, logistics are uh, nutso around the world with air travel. Um, you know, the amount of time that you you can spend at a 
you know, it's not unusual to be 45 minutes to an hour in a in a security line at Los Angeles International or Boston or even, to be honest with you, um, you know, one of the smaller airports in um, in America or Canada. So getting from A to B is a chore and it makes a long day. And those are the hours I think that people don't see. So what you have to do is you really have to trade that off for what, what you get to do as the job. Because a lot of the industry's changed dramatically. Mm-hmm. When I started, there was good, bad, and indifferent wine. Now there's good wine everywhere. In actual fact, there's great wine everywhere. And so there's not that differentiation that used to be where, oh, you know, this is really good wine and it stands out in comparison to. Now good wine just gets you in the game. It's like don't leave home without it. So good wine gets you in the game. Great wine gives you a competitive chance. And so now it's everything else. You know, first of all, it was people asking about whether whether you've got sustainable viticulture. Then it was, well, do you have, you know, have you got organic viticulture? Have you got biodynamic viticulture? Now it's ethics. It's business ethics people talk to you about, which never used to come up. Mm. And so the industry has become worldwide incredibly competitive. Like it's sharper now than I've ever known it. So to get a competitive edge is huge. So now it, it almost comes down to personality. And you'll hear people talking about, you know, when they met uh, Lucen from, from Germany, you know, with the Riesling. You'll hear people talking about specific winemakers or specific owners of vineyards or experiences that they've had. And it's, it's almost come down to, well, there's great wine everywhere now. What about the extras? The good stuff Here we go. is that when you get your day off, you're in New York yeah, and you get to see Kevin Klein on stage and he hasn't been on stage for 12 years and you get to see him, he's almost in every moment on stage of, of a play and you're on, you know, you're on 46th Street in the middle of Theatreland in Manhattan and you can walk home and you're staying on 42nd and 10th. And That's when pretty you, special. And when you get up in the morning, like, mm, I think today, I, you know, there's this really cool place over in Brooklyn. I think that's where I'm going to go for lunch. And you can. Or you've got the day off and you're in London and you can go and see Chelsea play at Stamford Bridge. Or you can go, I've, because the tickets are so expensive now, I go to see a local team, which I support. It's and way I'm better a, too. Well, who's I'm your member local team? Of the Brentford Bees. Oh, the Brentford Bees. It's the only, um, it's the only pitch in the United Kingdom that's got a pub at each of the four corners. Wow. And <laughs> they've slowly worked their way from Div 2 up to Championship. So they're playing Fulham hmm. and they're playing that's Charl- wonderful. Charlton Athletic. So they're the good bits. Or you get to do what I was, you know, was talking about just before. I got into town at three o'clock on the train or two o'clock on the train into Washington, D.C. And three bus stops away from where I stay, which is just next to the Australian Embassy uh, in D.C., which used to be a really edgy part of town and has now become quite gentrified. But years ago was the U Street, 14th Street corridor that was a completely segregated, genteel black neighbourhood. Right. And there's a little old diner in the middle of it called Ben's Chili Bowl. You go in there and for the first time ever, it wasn't packed. And there was this little old lady um, checking the chili, you know, whilst there was no one there. I ordered my my chili dog, you know, and because you've been there before, the they've got a picture of Obama, President Obama, eating a half smoke, which is the local, yeah. which is their specialty sausage made for the chili dog. So you go in, you know, so I'll have a half smoke, split and grilled, <laughs> no onion, no, no mustard, extra cheese, and they look at you like you're, you know, local. Yeah. 
And this little old lady's topping up the chilli and she turned around and there's a photograph of the founders up on the wall and you sort of look and you look and you look and I said, excuse me, do you mind me asking, is that you? And she said, I was 24. <laughs> I was married for 50 years. And she tells this great story. For 45 minutes, she was in no hurry. And you get a, a, a living history lesson on the night Martin Luther King was killed, the riots, how it changed into a ghetto, how it's been gentrified and how they have gone right the way through and how she met the husband. And it's living history. They're the good bits. Jane, it's time for pop quiz. Okay. Are you ready? Okay. Are you familiar with pop quiz? No. Radio. So pop quiz will ask you three questions. Okay. If you answer one correctly, you have to buy Alistair and I a beer. If you answer two correctly, Alistair and I will buy your beer. Okay. And if you get three out of three, you get the clean sweep. Uh, Ali? Well, we'll uh, get you a ticket to the uh, cockle train. and The cockle train and, at Goa. And how about we'll throw in a bowl of chilli as well. Great. Okay. Does we're that sound reasonable? We're playing for sheep stations oh, here. Yeah. Okay. Radio, question number one. Seppiltsfield has a vintage tawny wine released every year. What was the first year that it was released? Seppeltsfield? Oh, it'd be 1800 and something. Um, you're, you're right on that. I'm going to go for... This is a tough one. It is tough I'm to, gonna to go begin. For, well, they started 1842, if I remember correctly. Um, they opened in 1842. So I'm going to say 1845. Uh, unfortunately, Jane, that's incorrect. Okay. Uh, the answer is... 1878, a little bit... Oh, gosh, they few, took a long time to get yeah, going. a few decades. Um, well, they had 18 children, 18 live children in the first generation. They were probably busy at other stuff. Mm. Yeah. Potentially. Um, so at the moment, zero out of one. Question yeah. number two. That was a really tough That one. was really tough. Yeah. It was pretty good. It was pretty good thinking, though. That pretty was, good yeah. Thinking. Okay. Which Australian winery is opening a new restaurant in a building shaped like a Rubik's Cube. Oh, that's Chester Osborne. Yeah, yeah. He, yeah he, he, when he grows up, he really wants to be the lead singer in a Doors tribute band. Yeah, yeah, that's Darren Berg. That's correct. That is correct, yes. Yeah. So one out of two, currently buying Alistair and I beer. Yeah. Question three, Jane. Yes. Cannonau, the grape variety found in Sardinia, is also commonly known as what? Cannonau. Well, Zinfandel's Primitivo, so that doesn't sound anything like that. Um, I'll be taking an absolute stab in the dark. Well, you can ask for a couple of clues as well, if you'd like. Yeah, I've got absolutely no idea. I've never heard of it Let's before. Let's just say it's a bit of an unsung hero of the Barossa, this grape, as well. Well, Mataro? Ooh, it's close. It's close. Mataro, Malbec, um, unsung hero. Couldn't be Grenache. Grenache is a bit of a hero now. Well... Maybe it is a hero. Oh, okay. There you go. Cannonau is Grenache. There you That's go. That's correct. So I'm still buying you a beer. Yeah, by the sounds of it. Because yeah. that, that was a bit of a gimme. Bit of a shame on the uh, the ticket to the cockle train. Yeah, well, you know, hang on to that ticket because that's a biggie. <laughs> uh, I just wanted to ask you as well, earlier you were talking about how um, wineries are being asked about ethics mm -hmm. now. And that's where everybody's kind of making their their mark in the industry. Mm -hmm. You might be giving away a secret of yours by me asking this question, but what do you think is the next step? What do you think people are going to be asking about in the future when it extends beyond ethics of winemaking? 
that's actually something I haven't thought about. Um, I'm, it takes me all my time at the moment to, uh, as soon as I get home, to get around the winery to all parts of the working unit um, and find out what we're up to, whether it's biological control of light brown apple moss in the in the, you know, in the Eden Valley or whether it's, um, you know, the trials that are going on for diammonium phosphate to make sure our, uh, you know, is there a... Is there something in the? Is there an indicator in the juice prior to fermentation that's going to indicate whether or not there's a propensity for wild yeast ferments to stick because we do so much wild yeast fermentation? It's everything I can do to keep up um, with what we're what we're chasing. I haven't thought past ethics. Fortunately, because I have a access all areas pass excepting for the boardroom which I don't want at your lumber um, I've got an access all areas pass for the rest of the business and and fortunately when it comes to business ethics um, you know we're on reasonably solid ground uh, where we are um, I don't know I don't know if there's anything left that would they that people can strip a, a business back to um, I think if anything and this is just me guessing the way the world has become so small and the way, um, you know, these days you're judged very much on what's on your um, social media f- footprint, I guess you'd call it. Mm. I think, um, I think it's, this, is just, this is just me thinking aloud. I think it's just going to boil down, because wine is much of a muchness, I mean, as far as quality goes I'm talking about, I think people are going to, I think people are actually going to go back to whether or not they like you, whether or not they simply like you and what you do. The experience so, economy. Yeah. So I think because you you hear it everywhere. It's it's I hear the word experiential all the time. I mm. hear millennial experience. I hear this all the time, which <laughs> is just another word for do you like something or someone? It's yeah, it's a nice yeah. way of saying we had a good time. Exactly. Yeah. And I think it's going to come down to that because with, with the internet and with, with mobile phones and, and iPads and the way that mobile phone technology is going in scary directions um, and with all of the stuff that's hitting um, the press around the world about units like Cambridge Analytica and the possible effects that um, data mining can have on anything from the American elections to whether or not you go on a certain airline. I think that I think people are going to get to a point where it's just overload. And I'm hoping they're just going to come back to that original, do you like it? There's also that political correctness thing that we're so visible now. Every person is so visible with your social media footprint, mm-hmm. with your, you know, everything is so immediate and and uh, visible. I think people, I think it's going to come back to do, you know, do people like it? And that's why, and I think I'm coming back to my own experience, I'm being asked today to do more events more and more events all the time and it's all one-on-one not one-on-one one person to one person but it's all in the real yeah it's not via facetime or if you have a look at a lot of the um speaking circuit around the world i think bill clinton at the moment is uh, i think he when he was in adelaide he was fifteen hundred dollars a plate i think people want to go back a little bit i think people want that personal touch they want to be able to touch the flame and they want to and that's why we we at Yolumba are in a really good position and so that leads to my next question which is I'm rambling a bit sorry about that that's okay my my question there is (laughs) do wineries do brands 
not necessarily wineries, focus now on pleasing the audience they've already got and not worry about creating a new audience and, and engaging new people that haven't experienced their brand? Or do they continue to aggressively try to get new a new market? I think you have to have a foot in both camps. I think you can't afford to lose what you've got. That's number one. You can't afford to lose what you've got, but you need to be able to speak a different language too. Mm. You know, actually by saying that too, it's it's funny. When I've got uh, young kids, um, well, not when I say young kids, I'm old now, um, but when I've got younger folk that are getting into wine for the first time, or I, 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 I sort of, when I do an event, I say, are we intermediates, beginners, or, or collectors? Beginners are, um, I've paid more than $10 for a bottle of wine, I'd do it again. Intermediate, I've paid more than $25 for a bottle of wine, I can remember the name of it and I'd do it again. Um, and it's really interesting that people respond much the same way. So you, it's not a matter of having a different language, that's the wrong way to put it. I think you have to be prepared to um, get in and and recruit. I think, and as as a, as a wine company, you know, in the modern age, you know, we're dealing with alcohol and we have to be really careful about that and we need to be out. And in this country, we're in the most unique, here in New Zealand, you know, there's this kind of understood thing that wine and food are a kind of a thing that goes together and you don't do shots of Riesling. Isn't it weird? You know, it's kind of an understood thing. It's like being in a European country. Yeah. You know, in Spain and Italy and France, there's that familial thing that wine is quite a common part of the the fabric of life you know you have it at dinner and it's all right it's all right to get pissed at the pub as well yeah i, I just can't imagine a life without that well that's the thing and you don't do shots of riesling and 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 wines are kind of like a different gig and it's okay to go to the to the to the melbourne carp and and spend you know spend your day with drinking sparkling wine where you normally wouldn't i mean mm. this is kind of a special occasion thing so in this country and new zealand um it's we, we've got this kind of unique situation mm. where you know, it's not one of those things that you have to hide away in a cinder block building like you do in some parts of America. And yet in some parts of America, it's, you know, it's wide open. Yeah. So. You know, that said, though, Rieslingers could be a new thing. Well, I reckon shots of rosé. Rosé shots. Yeah. Well, rosé is, yeah, well, it's a massive mover around the world. That's, oh, yeah. Well, yeah. Jane, something we like to ask all of our guests uh, at the moment is what is in your recycling bin? Because we think it gives a little insight into your world. I've got the big... Uh, plastic Sulo lid bins, and uh, they're chock-a-block full of soft drink cans, beer bottles. What beverage? Um, I'd have to say I'm a bit of a I'm a bit of a Coke Zero, Pepsi Max kind of even Stevens. Oh yeah. I have to admit there are a lot of uh, mixed bourbon and cola cans in there. <laughs> Are you um, drinking it with lots of ice in a Rydell glass? <laughs> no, I'm drinking them frosty out of the freezer in oh, yeah. a uh, in a Elvis Presley Echo holder, stubby holder. I Very collect good. those because as fast as I collect them, I lose them. And there's a few, so I've just started drinking a bit of cider. Hmm. That's in my recycle bin. Well, Jane, look, you're a, a, a fountain of knowledge and you've got stories that can keep on going and we'd love to listen to them, but we have... Uh, maxed out on the time of this episode of By the Glass. Thank you so no much for joining us. No, thanks for doing it. Yeah, more power to you. And if you'd like to hear more about Jane or Yolumba, just visit yolumba.com. Thanks so much for joining us on By the Glass. You can catch up on every other episode via SoundCloud, iTunes or the Adelaide Review. Visit adelaidereview.com.au.
And if you've liked what you've heard today, don't forget to tell your bartender.